Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Monday. Let me see if we can do the bio today. Today's podcast is being sponsored by Ruben Grossman. It's very kind of him. I appreciate it. Um, it's. I'm going to talk about um, somebody in the tragedy business. Uh, <coughs> you'll bear with me. I um, today's Monday. I'm a little bit late, but at a roller coaster of a weekend, I was in Teaneck speaking on Shabbos. Very nice uh, crowd over there uh, in uh, Bima, base manager Birkenfeld. That's Rabbi Stavsky, very nice person. Uh Dastra. And then I raced home yesterday to get to a funeral of my next door neighbor, two doors away. Yosef Khan, a very good friend of mine. That was like very bummer. And then went right from there to uh the Briss of Ari and Heather Elbaum. They just had a baby boy. So it's been like a little bit of a roller coaster. And today oh why am I boring you with all this? Alright, let's get right to this. Um, so I, today, I looked at today, who's the yard sites, and I see one of them was the Mordechai. That's why I'm going to talk about the Mordechai, especially because yesterday or two days ago was the anniversary of his death, and he was killed in a pogroms, and uh, <clears throat> is the pogroms nobody knows anything about, hardly. I mean, they're known, but it's not registered in the public uh, consciousness, by and large, which leads especially in the light of Tishvav that we just finished, to the observation that Hakal Trichin Mazel Afila Pogroms. Everything needs Mazel. What do I mean, Pogroms? No, it's to enter the consciousness. We all know Xeris Tatnu about the, the Crusades. That's We all talk about Yom Kippur. I'm sorry, on the Tishvav. Those of you who... Well, I mean, everybody just did this in the Kinos. If you watched my Kinos, I gave a lot of time to it the other day. I always do um, and it's extremely dramatic business, what we call Xeris Tatanu. But a similar thing happened in the 1298, um, which killed the Mordechai, and uh, that's much less known. Uh, when it comes to 1096, the Crusades, even people that are not so geographically aware kind of have a general idea where the Rhine is. And I bet you people listening to this you probably type to have some general idea that you go through Shum, spears, worm, uh, worms, uh, mines, and so on and so forth, and the Crusaders came down and killed one community after another. But in 1290, the same thing happened, just in a different place, very close by. <coughs> uh, and uh, I'll talk about that in a second. So the hero today is uh, the Mordechai, Mordechai ben Hillel, who was obviously a rabbi, in um, the 1200s, lived, I think, from 1240 to 1298. So in other words, what was he? He wasn't even even 60, right? And uh, he's killed with his whole family in Nuremberg. Uh, Mordechai is from the, what shall I say, the last remnants of the Tosos here. I don't know if this means anything to you all, 
But when we talk about Tosfos, we generally have in mind, starting from the death of Rashi, which is early 1100s, and during the 1100s and the 1200s. Somewhere in the 1200s, there ain't no Tosfos anymore. Uh, in France, Jews were crushed in the middle of the 1200s. That's when they burned the Gemaras and all that. And by the time it's over, most of the Tosfos rabbis ran away, many to Israel. So that's over. That whole enterprise is over in the kingdom of France. But next door was the kingdom of Germany, or as it was called in those days, as you perhaps know by now, having listened to me, the Holy Roman Empire, which was huge. A lot of what you call today France, at that time was part of Germany, was part of the Holy Roman Empire. And so if the Jews ran away from places like where Rashi lived, Troyes and all that Paris, you didn't have to go that far to cross into German territory, and then all of a sudden you were not expelled. Uh, Alsace-Lorraine, for example. Uh, I mean, a lot of, you know, uh, Verdun, <laughs> actually, where the French held the Germans back. Verdun was part of Germany, part of the, uh, uh, the Holy Roman Empire. So the main place where the leftovers of Tosus happened was leftovers was in Germany, and they had a hard time. That's when the Mordechai lived. Uh, we usually associate this around the personality of the Marm Rottenberg, or Mayor Rottenberg, who famously was imprisoned by a German prince. But that was unusual. Usually the princes in Germany took care of the Jews because it was in their financial interest to do so, as you'll see in a second. Uh, nevertheless, you lived at the, at the mercy of these stupid German princes who in the 1200s were fighting each other like cats and dogs. You might say, who cares? If you're Jewish, it matters. Because if there's civil war, you end up with what you call soldiers running around and violence breaking out randomly here and there. And whatever happens, the Jew is screwed. You know what I'm saying? They're going to be suffering. If you're Jewish, you need always a, law, a, a strong government law and order. Okay? A strong government and law and order. If you don't have a strong <coughs> government, it's the worst thing, then the rioters take over. Like we had in America not long ago, you know, with the Black Lives Matter and the other kind of riots. Uh, you can say whatever you want. You wouldn't want to be one of the victims. Okay? And then justify it. Uh, you won't want to be one of the sufferers. If you're Jewish, you were a sufferer. So, Jews always want even an anti-Semitic government as long as it maintains law and order uh, at a basic level. That's why... <clears throat> We have this famous Hesped by the Nerd of Yehuda for the Austrian Empress Maria Theresa, who ruled for 40 years in the 1700s, and she was extremely Catholic anti-Semitic, very much so. And she had a lot of xeris and laws against the Jews. Oh boy, when she died, the Nerd of Yehuda has a, a Hesped for her like you wouldn't believe, like she was the biggest Sedegas. You know, people have written about this, but the bottom line, as I understand it, is, and he says this, he says... Law and order she kept. <laughs> you understand? Law and order she kept. So it's true the Jews had extra taxes and all kind of problems. But once you play by those rules, even though they're discriminatory, once you play by those rules, you can walk on the street. You can do business. You see what I'm saying? So the Jews, after Tosfos dissolved in France in the mid-1200s, had to go over so and so many miles to the east. And then it was the Germany and uh, that's where our hero lived, because he was a Yekka German Jew. 
from Matosa's family, the Mordechai, Mordechai ben Hillel, <coughs> uh, what shall I say, was a member of the elite. If he wrote a famous Sefer, and of course he did, uh, he's by definition a member of the elite. You weren't a shoemaker's son. There's somebody Chashev, <coughs> you get it? And uh, he's born into an elite family. I think even his father was a student of Mar Rottenberg, and then he will become one. Uh, he had the right Yechus, which by the Yechus was very important. He was descended from early, I think the Ravon or somebody like that, it doesn't matter, Ravya. <coughs> he married the right girl eventually, the right Yechus, <coughs> the right money, you know, so he did all those things. He checked all the uh, the boxes. Now, um, in the period we're talking about, which is the late 1200s, I guess, because he didn't live that long, so the second half of the 1200s, 13th century. <coughs> we enter a very interesting period in history of Torah literature, which is very similar to where we're holding today, in my opinion. And that is, there's always a period <coughs> of Chidushim, and then digesting the Chidushim. Um, I don't think today, in the Yeshiv world, so many people with big Chidushim. Rather, they're learning, and there are books that can help you cheat on the Chidushim of 100 years ago or so. Of Chaim Prisker, of Shemeshkop, or Baruch Bear, and so forth. So, in other words, we're not so much a time now, at least as far as I know, unless I'm out of it, where people are coming up with new hot, you know, Chiddush takeaways of learning the Gemara, and they're spreading right and left, but rather, there's developing in our time a canon, C A N O N, of classic Kedushan, which about literature, about 100 years old, 100. 50 years old at the most. That's just interesting. You know, the kind of people you see, or Sameach, and so forth. Um, and what that means is, it's probably true in any culture, that you have a time of n- novelty, then you have a time of, of, of digesting it. Like the history of science. Somebody comes up with a, a discovery, then it takes a while for it to percolate. Nowadays, it doesn't take that long because of the internet. But... Uh, Long ago, not that long ago, it took a longer time. Okay? I remember, for example, when they had the first heart operation, it was decades before it was spread around the world. You know, the open heart. So, that's how it goes. Uh, So, by the time you get to the lifetime of our hero, France was toast. The great centers of Judaism, like where Rashi lived, and the Rabbeinu Tom lived, and there's other towns in France that no one's heard of unless you know France or you know Tosas, you know, Orleans and Reims and Drou and, you know, Paris, of course. And the kind of things that Yeshiva guys always spell wrong because they don't know, <laughs> you know, the Rash Michans is the Rash of Sons and so forth. Uh, that was all in the past. It's over. It's like me today talking about <clears throat> Lithuania or Poland before the Second World War. I mean, see, within memory, it's over. You see? We're in America now. We're in Israel. <clears throat> so even though I think many people don't get this, because they think the Middle Ages was all, all at one same time, and it wasn't. Nobody's ever at the same time. You you live one and one and one. And so by the time the our hero comes along, the Mordechai, I mean, I think they say, if I'm mistaken, he was born around 1240, as I said before. So that means he's growing up in 1250s, 
ptosis uh, is over in France. It's not 100% over in Germany, but you're already looking at, <clears throat> oh, the old days, before the Zutu kicked out of France, when the Iker Torah was there, and there's this tremendous Gadolin, and they all had these Chedushin, and they also, you know, issued all kind of Piske Alocha, and there were a lot of precedents. <clears throat> but because it's the 1200s, it's not the age of printing press, a lot of stuff was being forgotten. It was trusted to memory. And people said, oh, I remember I heard from somebody told me the Rabbeinu Tom used to do like this, or the Re used to do like that, or whatever, you know. Even Martin Rottenberg, once he got arrested in jail, a lot of stuff was like old already. Especially when the, his main student, the Rush, ran away to Spain. So, you know, here we are in Germany. And so the Iker thing came to be, or at least some saw the Iker thing to be some, in uh, preserving and <clears throat> trying to record as much of the old past as possible, it shouldn't get forgotten. And that, my friends, is the Mordechai. Okay? Uh, his name was Mordechai Ben Hill. He started putting together, as I think we know, um, this huge business of collecting old traditions. Uh, it could be Shalos and Shubis that no one's heard of. It could be toast with stuff that isn't, for one reason or another, doesn't make it to the, into the Tosfos. It could be Mesoras, Min Hagen. What's really cool is when he tells you the, the unusual stuff, you say, he really poskin that way. The guy's, oh yeah, Rabbeinu Tom did this. You see? And one time somebody criticized him this when he answered back. That's his style of doing it. And not only Rabbeinu Tom and Dari, you know, not only the big ones, but a lot of people who were famous once upon a time that no one's ever heard of, Rabbeinu Baruch of this and so forth, which in those days was really Chashev. And um, he wanted to be, obviously, like um, another Martin Rottenberg. Why not? That was his teacher. They all wanted to be like that. Uh, he started to have a career in this way. He wanted to make a yeshiva and have Talmud because he was a scholarly. The trouble is, in those days... It wasn't so easy to make yeshiva. Well, it, it, you know, it kind of sometimes isn't. You'd think today, oh, somebody wants to come to be Margaret's toe. Very good. If you come to a town, you could be stepping on somebody else's toes. You could be um, competing with somebody. Uh, you could be a threat to somebody. Let's put it this way. In the high Middle Ages, in 11, 12, 1300s, hyper feelings were very common in Ashkenazi Jewry. For a whole bunch of reasons. And therefore, <clears throat> imitating the Christians, they developed a system of chazakas. I think I've spoken about this. And chazaka means you have to have a license from the killer to do what you want to do. So let's say, for example, I'm a butcher. And I want to come in the community and start up a butcher. Well, there's already a butcher there, or maybe, <clears throat> or two. Um... Uh, is it okay for me to compete with them and cut their pranasa? That's a problem we have in America. Except that there's no limitations on anything. Here we have the American ethos, which is the heck with you. And if you sell the pizza for a buck and a half and I can sell it for a buck 45, I'll put you under and to hell with you. You know what I mean? You can starve. you got a business. That's how it goes. Um, in the Middle Ages, they didn't feel that way. The Christians certainly didn't. And it spilled over to the Jews. There are plenty of argument, plenty of cases you can point 
from the Talmudic literature, there should be more of an open market. It's pretty ruthless as far as I can see in the Gemara as a competition. But in the time we're talking about the Ashkenazim, the Rashi Toth already had it. Had this business of Chazaka. So you can't come in and, and set up a barber shop, a butcher shop, or be a merchant in uh, diamonds or something like that. If somebody's already there and they blackball you. The the, the height of this is called Cheskas Aishav. Cheskas Aishav means I have the right not to allow you. I don't want you to live in my community. You say, why? I don't have to give a reason. And uh, it's very famous. There are hero who had come from the right family, who had learned many years under Marm Rottenberg, obviously <clears throat> until Marm Rottenberg was arrested in jail, uh, which you know he spent the rest of his life in jail. I think, I assume you know that. <clears throat> um, this Talmud more or less had to scatter. Uh, didn't stop trying to be Marvitz Torah, but had to be done in a much lesser way. The 1200s in Germany saw, in general, a certain amount of a breakdown of law and order. That's because the German states, they had these duchies, you understand? Which later became electorates. You know, the, the Duchy of Bohemia, the Duchy of Franconia, which is where our hero is operating. The Duchy of Swabia, Bavaria, whatever. whatever. Um, so, the different princes fought with each other. Germany, for a long time, could not agree to have an emperor. So officially, he's supposed to be holy an empire, but they can't elect anybody. They only had a king of the Romans, as they call it, like a king title. Which means that the respect for law was a little less than it should have been. The Jews are the ones that are mainly affected by this. And so, our hero, once he hit to be 20, 25, something like that, he married the right girl, like I said before. I forget, I think I think they say, if I'm not mistaken, I think he married the daughter of Michiela Paris. Which would mean that um, <clears throat> uh, Rachel Pass was already gone. I think her name was Zelda, actually. <laughs> uh, the Pass was the big Russian Shiva in Paris, obviously. Uh, he's the one who was there when they burned the Gomorrahs and so forth. He was the rabbi of the Marm Rottenberg. So this is very interesting. We're talking Yichas over here. I'm a Talmud of the Marm Rottenberg, but I'm marrying the daughter of the Marm Rottenberg's rabbi. Right? That's uh, that's definitely the, let's put it this way, the fix was in. The guy must have had money, they must have yichas. Same thing with the girl. All right, there's nothing wrong with that. <clears throat> then what do you do? So if you're born in 1220, and it's a, uh, and you're, um, what do you call it? And you're the, uh, you know, Talmud. Uh, you want to know something? I'm just looking this up now. 1250. So I got him wrong by, by 10 years. I'll tell you why. It's not not a little deal. See, Mama had a short life. He was 48 years old when he died. So if he's born in 1250, then he's like 20... In the 1270s, when he's in his 20s, so uh, that's when the Ron Brock... Here you are in your late 1270s, 1280s, you're 30 years old. You want to do something with your life? Um... Uh, he tries to set himself up to have a rabbinate or a Rosh Hashiva position in Germany. He went to a, t- a famous town, Goslar. These names don't mean anything to you unless you're a Yeki and your family happens to come from there. You know, But they're all in the middle of the belly button of Germany, Franconia. 
the area of Rothenburg and Würzburg and Bamberg and all that stuff. Uh, Frankfurt is there, by the way. And Fulda. And um, he tried to get in there. They blackballed him. There was a famous case. Sins and Chewis Rothenburg, even though it took place later. Meaning, he comes in. He said, I want to open a yeshiva. Bring in Bukharim. Some guy in the town, doesn't matter what his name was, said he doesn't have the right to be here. I've seen different sources. I don't know who's telling the truth. One says he took him to Basin. The other one says he took him to the Goyim. Because he, he didn't hesitate to go to the Goyisha government until you got somebody who was done the right to live here. That's all you have to tell the Germans. You have an extra Jew. You know, they don't want that. According to the Jewish version, he took the guy to Basin and the, our hero won, Mordechai. Because it's not so easy to tell somebody they just can't live there with no reason. And, you, and when it comes to Russia Shiva ships, you can't do that to say, you know, one guy says he's going to hurt my business because there, the Talmudic law definitely believes the 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 better competition overall. And uh, nevertheless, he obviously made the situation bitter. You have these small communities. There are always small communities in the 1200s. Even if you say like this, two-thirds of the community is on my side, which I don't even know is true. Who wants a situation where 33% of the population hates you? He had it. And so our hero left there and ended up going to Nuremberg. The famous Nuremberg. <coughs> One of the more important communities. Uh, that's where he set up a yeshiva. I forget how many years. Uh, that's where he taught. And that's where he composed the Mordechai. Which means that he obviously taught... In the following way, you have a class where you give regular Gemara, and you do Gemara Shitosus, if it's in his time, and you uh, do the kind of lumdus over there that they used to do. But then you have another class, or some other sort, in which you say, okay, now that I'm doing this Gemara, now let's do the the, the Bikis, but not the Bikis in different Gemaras. Listen to what I'm about to say. I have recorded... Um, and I'm always endeavoring to find out more information. Now that we're learning this particular Gemara, what is, what is the opinions and, and the precedent of the Gedolim before us? A generation before, Mar Rottenberg, before him, Chil Paris, before him, the Balitosis, you know, the Rajba, the Reed, the Rabbeinu Tom, and so on and so forth, all those guys. What'd they say? And uh, he's not the only one that did that. And what you're really doing is you're enabling your students to be successful rabbis to go out there and practice the rabbinate because what a rabbi needs more than anything else, in my opinion, is a list of options out there. Do you get it? Um, if you just have one book in front of you, especially in those days when nothing existed except the, the Gemara and the Rambam and the Rif, okay, that's a very limited amount of material. <laughs> Suppose I have... I'm just making this up. Suppose I have a tough Laguna case. And the limited amount of material in my hand, just from the Gemara and the Rambam, doesn't help that much. And even if I look inside the Gemara and the Gemara and Rashi and Tosis, it still ends up with a bad result. And I got this lady out there who's up the creek. I'm interested, if, if you're withholding from me the fact 
The Ramosha Feinstein gave a heter on this. You never told me that. Or Shlomoth al found a heter for this, and you never told me that. You see what I'm saying? Or Rabbi Yosha, or somebody like that. Or Chaim Meiser. This lady's going to suffer for no reason. I had to tell her that she can't get married, because all I knew was what you have in the Gemara and a few other sources. Nobody ever told me the Rabbeinu Tom, once upon a time, gave me a daring heter on this and this situation. Hey, it's not in Tosis. Not everything Rabbeinu Tom said is in Tosis. Not everything the Bali Tosis said or did is written in the edited editions of the Tosis. On the contrary, the Tosafos that we have in the Gemara printed, or even in the old days in the manuscript, is a limited amount of what they did. But they worked and spoke and wrote. They discussed a lot more than that. And it may be of use to me in that Aguna case. <clears throat> or in a Hilchah Shabbos case. Or, you know what I mean, in any kind of case. There might be a fight in my community. And, you know, if I knew this Ravya, which is not in the Sefer Ravya, but, it's, you know, but, 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 but he said it, that would help me solve the whole business. You get my test mentality as I understand it. Uh, this is always the attraction of the encyclopedia approach. I think it's very popular nowadays. So what I'm basically talking about is that the Mordechai, if you're not familiar with it, even though it's in the back of all the Gemaras, but I think it's probably the least used of everything in the Gemara, even though it shouldn't be, and originally it was written on the riff, there's a whole literary history to it. And I'll tell you the truth, I was going to talk about the literary history of it, but then I wrote uh, this morning to Gideon Miller in um, Houston because I asked him to send, get me an article, and he said that uh, they just did a podcast on this in, in the Swarm Chatter to my friend over there, and he had Professor Tannerfogel talk about the Mordechai, the new edition. So I saw, I just listened to part of it, and I see he touches all the technical stuff. So if you're really interested in the different manuscripts and tech and different editions. It's a fascinating subject. It's very complicated. Of the Mordechai, so you'll listen to that. But I'm not interested in that for the purposes of what we're talking about right now. I'm rather interested in trying to get across to you the idea that people need a piske chuvas, or at least if you're in my business. The mission board is great, but the mission board is limited. The mission board might say something is also, and usually I have no problem with that. But it might be some time that I have a situation in which I'm looking for um, <laughs> something that's a, a motor. You know, I could have, you know, every child that has a family involved has a specific situation. And you know what I mean? The uh, Piskechivas will show you, oh, it's in the Sitzeliezer or the, the Rebel Yashiv or someone like that was Matred or whatever the case is. But you see what I'm saying? No, it expands your knowledge of the sources. Now, by the way, that's exactly what the tour did. They're almost contemporaries. The tour is the son of the rush. The style of the tour is to share with you all the different opinions. The Mordechai is much more detailed and much more comprehensive. But that's, you know, stylistic things. The approach is to afford maximum knowledge of the possibilities out there to the reader. Uh, that's what the Mordechai undertook to do. Um, he was very assiduous at this. And they gather a heck of a lot of material. I always like it. Some like it because it has, a lot of times it has a history style to it. Those they'll say, once upon a time, Dari was involved in a fight with this guy and said this and this, and they argued that. And, you know, one time there was a war going on and Reb so-and-so said to another guy, that was also in a story form. And other times more just regular halacha. <clears throat> but there's a lot of material out there 
And believe you me, the later rabbis loved the Mordechai uh, because it's exactly what I said. If you're going to be a rabbi, a rub, and deal with the real world, uh, you want to know what's out there. And let's put it this way. If the Rabbeinu Tom said it, if the Mom Rottenberg said it, then you don't blow it away. Now, it may apply to your situation. It may not. That depends who you are as a rabbi. And you can have Shalos and Shubas where a person will write to a rabbi the 13, 14, 15, 16 hundred and say, I saw this in the Mordechai. Here's my case. Do you think it's the same? Fine. But at least you saw this in the Mordechai. So the Mordechai becomes, therefore, kind of encyclopedia of uh, shitas and stories, halachic stories, uh, which is gold, right? And uh, therefore it became a favorite. And uh, But favorite mainly, as I say before, as I understand it, among those who are interested in halachalamaisa, with the idea being that it affords you a lot more than just what you see in the page in front of you with the Gmarashi Tosas and even a little bit more net. A lot more than the Gmarashi Tosas and Rashi, right? Um, and therefore, your big rabbis of the 1500s, 1600s, used to love the uh, the Mordechai because uh, you find all these sheets. And in our world, if you find me a real Rishon, a Baal Tosa that says something, it's, it, it's something you can use. I mean, you know, you don't just use it uh, dumbly, but you use it. So, uh, this is a fascinating. Uh, the Mordechai never lived to finish it. If he would have lived and not gotten killed, as we'll see in a second, it probably would have been something awesome and probably would reorganize it in a different way. I think the first time he did it, like according to the riff, but it doesn't matter. The key point is to do it according to the page of the Shas. And there is a new set out, uh, the Mordechai Shaling, uh, which if you're at all interested in this, everybody should get. And what he does is, he puts it on the daf. So basically, if you're learning a Gemara, and if you're interested in this, any Gemara you're learning, you can just get a hold of this and hold it side by side. And it's like a, it's like another Tosus, so to speak. But it's, uh, I, in my opinion, it's easier than Tosus. So he's a, he writes it in a way that's easier than Tosus. And it's sometimes more interesting even because the stories, you know what I mean? The most interesting part of the Tosus sometimes are the stories that they throw in once in a while in there. So Mordechai, as, as I see it, is Molly Regardish, this sort of thing. Now, I have to be honest with you. I bought this, I don't know, a year ago. I used it for a while, and then I totally forgot it. Only today, when I was thinking about the Mordechai, because of the yard side, I said, I got this at home. I forgot all about this. You know? And I feel uh, um, bad. I finished uh, Yuvamas for my, mo- my mother. What? Yeah, for my mother. And uh, I didn't even look at it at all. And it's very good. So if you get, it's like a four-volume business from the Machon Yerushalayim. And if it's something that interests you, you find it very cool. Okay? Now, um, unfortunately, the uh, Mordecai had the misfortune of living the wrong time at the wrong place. Because, as I said before, whereas many people are familiar with the Xeris Tatanu, with the outbreak of violence... It happened in a single summer um, on the Rhine, in a very confined, narrow area, but hit the Jewish communities terribly, and that's become immortalized. Uh, in 1298, not 1096, but 1298, something similar happened not too far to the east. If you know the map, the Rhine 
you know, uh, goes down. And, you know, a lot of little rivers twiggle out of the Rhine. One of them would be the mine, like Frankfurt am Main. These places. And this is always called Franconia. It's mamish the belly button of Germany. Not only geographically, but culturally. And unfortunately, there was a civil war going on at that time between two contenders for the throne. You don't have to know about that. Uh, Albert, uh, whatever. And uh, some guy used this opportunity. His name was Rindfleisch. He used this opportunity to uh, organize like a KKK. Or Mamish, exactly what the Crusaders did. Like a whole group and said, we have religious reasons for killing the Jews. And so let's kill all the Jews. And they went like in the summer, uh, X number of months, like from April to, I don't know, the end of the year to whatever it was, in 1298. And uh, in that area, along those rivers, not the Rhine River, but, you know, to the east of it, in Franconia, and my God, every town they hit to kill all the Jews. Right? And just like the Crusaders, they said, you convert or we'll kill you. And believe you me, they have stories that there were Jewish mothers that jumped with their babies and little children into the fires rather than convert. It's an unknown, relatively unknown um, incident in Jewish history. And they uh, took out 150 Jewish communities. You understand? And uh, thousands were killed. We don't know today have thousands. I've seen estimates between 4,000 and 40,000. And there's a big difference between 4,000 and 40,000. But is there a big difference? So um, they started in April and went to this town, and then in May and June, July, and so on and so forth. And unfortunately, um, by the way, they wiped out the town of Rottenburg, where the modern Rottenburg is from. He was no longer there, of course. He wasn't alive. and uh, But his student was. And that's a brother-in-law of our hero. Uh, the brother-in-law, no, the rabbi of Rottenburg, Rothenburg on the Tauber River, uh, was the Hagos Maimini. See, it was that kind of thing also. Was the Hagos Maimini, the Mayor Cohen. He's trying to write a toast on the Rambam, on the Mishnah Torah. That's what that is. The Hagos Maimini is the first commentary ever written on the Rambam. It's the form of a Tosafistic commentary. Mama, so what I just said before, you know, this is not what we do. It's like the Ramah to the, to the Shulchan Aruch, you know. Now, um, he was wiped out with the whole town in, um, when was it? Uh, in Av. You know, late July, early August, something like that, late July. And then they hit uh, Nuremberg, where our hero was living. And they wiped out the whole town, or most of it. And they killed him and his whole family. It was him, his wife, and five kids. They all died at Kiddush Hashem. Uh, a week later, they left. The emperor showed up. And the emperor was angry at the community in Nuremberg. I remember that. He said, why did you let him get killed? And they said, what do you care? And he said, I'll tell you why I care. Heck with you. These few Jews pay more taxes than all you guys put together. So no, he didn't care about the Jews per se, but he didn't want his 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 cows that gave milk to be harmed. You know, and that's how he viewed the Jews. And so, um, you know, the, the, uh, the what do you call it? Our hero was killed with Holt's family, which makes him a martyr. Uh, he obviously never finished the book. But the idea, the book was so useful. Uh, and by the way, because he was a martyr, I think it had something unusual. We called the Mordechai. Do you know another safer like I can't think of another safer like that. We call by the guy's first name. You know, you don't call um, Rashi the Shlomo, <laughs> right? You don't call... Uh, you know, uh, the Ron, the Nissen, 
But the Mordechai, by written by Mordechai, they call it the Mordechai. It's just interesting. And so the result is that um, it was considered extremely valuable. And so everybody made copies. You know how it works in the copycat culture because there was no printing press. You had to copy out. Uh, to start a whole irbuvia of people writing and adding and subtracting and changing. And so there are a lot of Mordechai's running around, a lot of versions of it. That need not trouble you. That's for the experts on different nuschos and things like that. Uh, but unless you're interested in that, but most people are not. Suffice it to say, whichever form, and there were Mordechai's that actually became like a genre, uh, whichever form, it got very, very popular. Uh, I'm sure the death as a martyr <coughs> helped. But the ultimate utility is the fact that he adds so much material. Like if he, I have a Gemara, like I said before, if I have a Gemara, if I'm the type that's interested in Tosis, if you are, not everybody is. If you are, it's like an extra Tosis. <laughs> you see? Even more than that. That's quite a statement I just made. And... Maybe it'll have a head to I can use, as I said before. Or maybe it'll do something else that I will find useful. And so it became very popular. We're dealing with an era in history in which there was no Shulchan Aruch yet. And so, in Ashkenaz, they used to learn the Mordechai uh, Be'in as like a Shulchan Aruch. Because in Ashkenaz, if some early famous rabbi said you could do it, you could do it. Or if he said you shouldn't do it, then you shouldn't do it. We have today a little bit of this or now I see running around in which people write foreign which they'll tell you what the Chazanish said and did and more recently you know Shlomo Zanarmach did. I even have a safer or something one or two volumes it's kind of cute. I forget what it's called. It took it to the nth degree. You know what does this rabbi make a bracha? How does he do it? How does somebody else do it? How does he shake a lulav? How do you do that sort of thing? Um, the notion me peace, so free and below me peace of farm. That I want to know what this rabbi did rather than what the Gemara says or what the the, the, the halacha book says is very interesting. Because even today, you can read, you're not allowed to do this. And then you say, I guess, in our community we do this. Rabbi so and so does it, and he's a chashavaro. Rabbi so and so does it, this is a big brush of Shiva. See, that becomes the living thing of what you do. You get it? The Mordechai is, as far as I can see, like a monument to me, me be so free below my peace farm. Because most of the material he picks up were not from other books. Some were. A lot of it's not other books. It's original material. And so it's like a certain eyewitness, if you want literary witness, to what these rabbis actually did. Um, and then in that case, you work backwards. If the din is so-and-so, but if so-and-so did this and this and this, which seems not to apply with the din, let me work backwards and say like this. I know Rabbi Chaim Moser said it. It's got to be right. He's not going to do something wrong. I, it seems it's not that way. So let me go be Miyashavit. So it turns out the actions that the person did or recorded are part of the dialectical discussions of the lumdists themselves. And that's extremely Ashkenazic. Because by the Ashkenaz, what our freer dicker did, oh boy, you know, they were holy, they were martyrs, they were great tzaddikim, therefore if they said it, it can't be wrong. If it doesn't accord exactly what the books say, work it out. But don't tell me to refrain from copying them until we work it out. The other way around. I'm going to follow what they said, 
And I'll wait for you in your own good time to work it out or not. But this is still what we're going to do. Uh, the Mordechai is like a, 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 a fortress of this sort of thing. And as I said before, um, if you get that new Mordechai, uh, and you... Okay, let me just make throw a suggestion out. It's up to you. Rosh Hashanah is around the corner. Many people have a custom to learn part of the Gemara Rosh Hashanah, maybe the fourth pack or something like that, you know, next couple of weeks. Very well-known uh, custom. Or uh, maybe part of Yuma, you know what I'm saying. Go and get this Mordechai. And, or you could do the old-fashioned one, just flip back forth thing more. That's very inconvenient. That's why Mordechai had bad luck. Uh, you get this Gemara, you hold next to you, and uh, especially if you type, you know a little bit about Tosfus and the Rush, maybe uh, you'll see. You, you'll I think you'll find the Mordechai very, very interesting. Let me put it this way: there's worse things that you could do in the month of El, uh, and so for that reason, the the, the 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 life is cut short. You understand? Because of the violence, what happened to the criminals? Well, the emperor was angry that the guy Rindfleisch robbed him of a bunch of Jews. He was angry that he robbed him of a bunch of Cows that gave milk, so he, he killed him. Not because he punished him for being anti-Semite, murdering Jews, because you damaged my property. That is the best the Jews could hope for in the Middle Ages. Uh, people don't understand what it was like before there was a Jewish state. Um, the utter helplessness of the Jews. Sometimes you can roll with the punch, and sometimes you cannot roll with the punch. You know, what do you do then? Anyway, this all happened two days ago on the 22nd of Av, and uh, that means... We're in a time of the year, and really, I would invite you to go look it up. The Rindfleisch Massacre, as they call it. Um, this is part of, uh, if I can use the expression, this part of Tishwab that people are not so familiar with. Right? It's a very sad episode in Jewish history, but it's not uncommon. It was the beginning of a chain of violence. By the way, this is before the Black Death. This is not in the 1300s. This is still in the 1200s. It's the beginning of a chain of events, which eventually lead to the exile of 95 or 98% of Jews from Germany, most of them ended up going into Poland. But that's a discussion for another time. With that, I bid you a good day. Once again, we want to thank Ruben Grossman for being the sponsor over here. I need more sponsors coming up in the next weeks, and uh, I hope people will step up. With that, I bid you a good day. Hi, you know, I always forgot... One of the things I like about, you want to laugh at this, about the Mordechai, believe this or not, he wrote a poem praising the kudos. I kid you not. So you see, he wasn't simply a halacha person um, and nothing but. There's this um, scholar, Cohn, who collected all of his side writings. And one of his Agansa poem about the kudos, the patach and the comments and all the rest. It's quite remarkable. So... You can't necessarily know who someone is just by one or two's form that they wrote. I thought I'd just throw it in for the end. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.